I don't know about you, but uh, I have already worshipped this morning. Some would say, well, that's good, let's go home. But folks, I want to tell you, worship is not centered around music. Music primes the pump. Music brings us to the throne and prepares us. But worship centers around the very Word of God. And aren't you glad that we have the Word this morning, that we can come and worship, worship together? Thank you, Matt. Can you imagine, just for a moment imagine, no, no keyboard, no piano, no one to play it. I mean, there is a piano there in uh, West Virginia, but, but there's no one to play it. And people come and worship every Sunday for a long period of time with no music worship. Can you imagine going through worship with, without what we've already experienced this morning? We have such a blessing for, for the talent that God has placed here and is using here. And I'm so glad that in our partnership with New Covenant uh, Fellowship Church in, in Logan, West Virginia. Not only are we going up there and, and fellowshipping with them, not only are we going there and helping a sister church there at Main Street in Madison, West Virginia, not only are we going there and teaching vacation Bible school to kids that live in a place that there's no church around, that we're able to go into a public school and tell people about Jesus but we're also able to help and encourage a struggling church in West Virginia. Because of your graciousness, your giving, New Covenant Fellowship is now able to experience music worship. I just want to tell you, when we were preaching revival up there this summer, and to see their faces when they were singing... The joy that they were expressing because they loved the Lord so much that they were finally able to, to sing out to the Lord. And I appreciate uh, Matt and John Mark and all those who were involved in, in getting that coordinated and put together so that this morning as they worship, actually it's this afternoon because they worship at 1 o'clock, they, they will be using this technology so that they can have music worship. Folks, I want to tell you, God's at work with the people in Poplar Springs Baptist Church because we're helping and encouraging other churches on the mission front, the pioneer mission, mission front. I'm so thankful for that. Tammy's out today. She's taking a day off. She hadn't done that in a long time. And uh, so glad that Matt uh, filled in our pianist, uh, June's off on, on a trip, and uh, so uh, what a joy it is to, to still be able to worship. And what a great crowd this morning, even though it's raining. Even though it's raining. I guess you didn't have anything else to do. It was raining, right? Uh, not, not Methodist. Uh, uh. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the Revelation as we continue our study through the Revelation. We're looking at the seven churches, and uh, today we want to look... Uh, at a, uh, a particular church, but I just want to remind you, we've uh, looked at Ephesus, the uh, distracted church, the church that had, had left its first love. And then we looked at Smyrna, the frontline church, the one that was on the front line of battles, the one that, that Christ had no condemnation against, but only praise for them. And we wish uh, 
we, we want to be uh, love Christ first. We want to, Him to be preeminent in our lives as a church. We also want to be a church that is on the front line. But then we, look at per, we looked at Pergamum, the permissive church, the church that allowed false teachers to be there and uh, 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 to continue uh, there. And uh, so the Lord had some... some uh, actually, He didn't have much good to say about Pergamum. He uh, did have uh, some, some things that He wanted them to correct. He told them to repent. But today we want to look at the church at Thyatira. Thyatira was the, the smallest of the cities that uh, we are looking at. It was a city that uh, uh, really was at the uh, road uh, that led up to uh, uh, Smyrna and, and, uh, Thy, uh, and also Pergamum. And uh, as a result, uh, it was a, on an open plain and it was a garrison for the Greek army. It was a garrison for the Pergamon army. And then it became a garrison for the Roman army. And oftentimes it had been in the center of a battle about who was going to have control of the valley and had been destroyed several times and rebuilt. And when this letter was written, Thyatira was a city that was controlled by the Roman government and was a Roman garrison. And as a result of that, the businesses that surrounded it was also attached to the military uh, things that were needed there. And we're going to see more about that. The city I grew up in was called Wellston until an uh, air depot, an army air depot was built there and uh, later was named after General Warner Robbins. As a result of that, the town Wellston became Warner Robbins, and then we came, became Robbins Air Force Base. As a result of that, Warner Robbins is a tremendous military town that grew around that. And that's the idea that, that grows around uh, Thyatira. And let's see what the, uh, where that is. You see it on the map there. We've made the top circle, and it comes down to Thyatira. And uh, it is a garrison that per particular protects the road up to Pergamon. And as a result, it was a military town. So let's see what uh, the Lord Jesus... Remember, Jesus is uh, talking to uh, John, who has been commanded to write down the things and uh, send these things to the messenger, the angel of each church, the pastor of each church. And uh, he would receive this, and then his duty was to then declare it uh, to the people. And that letter then was uh, shared uh, with those around. And we have it today in God's uh, written word, God's uh, infallible uh, word that we have today. So verse 18 of chapter 2, we read these words. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write. The responsibility of the messenger, the angel, the pastor that is there, he says, I want to tell them this. The Son of God, Right here, Jesus uses the title that he loved the most about him. When you read through the gospel, he re refers to himself as the Son of God so many times. I tell you what, I, I, it boggles my mind how somebody can read through the New Testament, read the words of Jesus, and then be a, like some liberal theologians say, Jesus never said he was God. He never made a claim to deity. Folks, I want to tell you, if you read, especially through the Gospel of John, he makes a clear declaration that he is the Son of God. He is the one sent. He makes that 
time and time again. So here uh, to this church, he reminds them that he is God. He is the Son of God. He is power, has the power of God. He has the knowledge of God. Because he is the Son of God, one of the three in the Trinity, the, of the one God that we worship. And then he says, who has eyes like the flame, a flame of fire? Oh, I love the pastor I had growing up. Brother Rastus, he was the pastor of uh, Second Baptist for 48 years. He was pastor before I was born, and he preached till he was 81. He preached till three months before his death. And I remember he was so full of God that when we went out the back door and shook people, uh, shook his hand, his eyes seemed like they pierced me but Jesus can you imagine the Lord Jesus and the power of conviction and the power of uh, seeing all that there is being God he's reminding them he says listen my eyes are piercing you and I know every detail whether it's good or whether it's bad whether it's hidden I see it Flaming fire kind of alludes to the concept or the idea of judgment. And then he says, and his feet are like burnished bronze. You see, in that day, they had learned how to take different metals and blend them together. They didn't have steel at that point. And so they would take copper and other materials and, and make bronze, which is a strong metal, and it resisted rust. And there were businesses built up as a result of that because they were making armor for the military that was there, whether it was the Greeks, whether it was uh, the Pergamos uh, soldiers, or, and now with the Roman soldiers there, they supplied the need. And so everyone there understood what the, the burnished bronze, the feet of burnished bronze means. It means that the one who conquers, the one who stomps down. The Roman military was known not for, it, it would bring peace, but they, their military was known for its roughness, running over. He says, the Son of God with His flaming eyes piercing. The one who has feet, feet that can crush. He says, say this. Say this. Well, let's look at the message. He says, I know your deeds. I, I, I'm so thankful now that this is the, the fourth church. And every time He says, I know. I know. I'm so thankful that every morning when I get up, I have to remind myself, God knows what's going to happen today. He, he, he's holding and controlling, and He knows everything. He knows my problems. He knows my solutions. He knows everything. You don't have to detail out to Him. You can if you like, but he already, you're telling Him something He already knows. He says, I know your deeds. Folks, I want to tell you, Jesus, with His piercing eyes, looks at us as Poplar Springs Baptist Church, and He knows our deeds. 
Now look what he says about the deeds. He says, I know about your deeds and your love. How that you are disciples of mine and that you love one another so that the world knows that you're my disciples, that you're loving one another like I love you and your love is shown all over the place. I'm so thankful that people who visit here express to me they feel welcome and loved. He commended them. He says, listen, your love is astounding. Folks, I want to tell you, the thing that, that makes us different than the world is the love, the agape, loving one another without expecting anything back. He says, your love is tremendous. And your faith. You're believing me, trusting me, being dependent upon me. That faith that you have put in me, not only for salvation, but for living day by day. And your service. Folks, I want to tell you something. When you love the Lord and love other people, when you have faith and trust Him, you cannot do anything but serve. Serve others. How can you love others without serving? It won't happen. And so he says, I love you. I, I, I got, I, I'm so thankful for your love, your faith, and your service, and your perseverance. You're, it's not just today. It's not just a little bit. It's continuous. It's always there. You're persevering in your love. You're persevering in your faith and your service. And that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Folks, I want to tell you, Jesus might say to Poplar Springs Baptist Church, I know how you love. I know how you are faithful, how you trust me. I see how that you serve others. And I'm even seeing how that, that what you're doing right now is even greater than what you were doing before. You see, there's an expectation from Jesus us to do more isn't it amazing every time we take a step to do more God supplies and provides some good things at this church but uh oh <laughs> we've seen this word before haven't we Three of the churches so far, God, uh, Jesus has had to say, but, but. He says, I have this against you. Now, at Ephesus, he says, but I have one thing against you. That is that you've left your first love. At Smyrna, he was able to say, uh, uh, no, he didn't have to say but. At Pergamos, he had to say, but I have a few things against you. And here he says, but I have this, this one specific detrimental thing I have against you. Know how I've been praying, how I, I wonder if Jesus was, was inspecting us. 
if he was able to say, I'm so thankful for your love, I'm so thankful for your faith, I'm so thankful for your service, I'm so thankful for your perseverance. I'm so thankful that you're, you're, all these are expanding as time goes by. But, I wonder if he'd have to say, but. What he would say after that. Here's the problem they were facing here at Thyatira. He says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Have any of y'all ever heard of a, uh, a girl named Jezebel? Maybe. Have you ever heard of a guy named Judas? In modern day, yeah, Judas. You know, there's some names we stay away from because of the character, especially that we see in Scripture, of that name. I just want to tell you, I'd never name my daughter Jezebel. Now, it's very possible in this church there was a lady, we know there was a lady, that her real name was Jezebel and it, it may have been uh, in direct line that her name was Jezebel like Jezebel of the Old Testament. But the idea that Jesus is giving across here is that this woman, whether her name was Jezebel in reality or not, that she was a Jezebel and that she had the character like the Jezebel of the Old Testament. Now, if you've been doing your Bible reading, and some of you are reading your Bible through the year, and I'm so thankful for that, you would come across the story about Jezebel. Jezebel was a princess of a foreign, foreign country, a pagan country, and she, uh, the deal was made for her to marry King Ahab there of Israel. And as a result of that marriage, her influence over Ahab and Israel brought Balaam worship to be the most common worship in Israel. And so it's this character that Jesus is pointing out. He says, listen, you are tolerating Jezebel, the one that comes in and influences with outside pagan worship for God's people says, who calls herself a prophetess. You see, here's the problem. Anytime we go away from God's plan, things mess up. Now, I think I understand why God has reserved the position of pastor for males. I believe it has to do with the very fact that God is trying to demonstrate His relationship with the church, with Christ in the church, as Christ being the head. He demonstrates that in the family because He has said, Husbands, you're the head of your family. Ladies, that's a tough job. But you have the tougher job in submitting yourself, saying, Lord, I am going to do what you've asked me to do, I am going to submit myself. And guys, don't get so prideful because really what you have to do is submit yourself to Christ. No one gets out of submitting. Al Moeller, president of the Southern Seminary, uh, was quoted here just a couple of months ago. He says, listen, it was right after the decision that the Supreme Court made 
about homosexual couples and marriage, he says, listen, the problem starts when we take one step and it starts sliding. Here recently, a mainline Protestant denomination ordained and put in the position of the, their bishop not only a woman, but a lesbian woman. She called herself a prophetess. By the way, we got some lady preachers on TV. Matter of fact, there's one who says that she doesn't sin anymore. First John says, if you say that you have no sin, you're a liar. She calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now you need to have a little background understanding that in Thyatira, there were different workers' guilds, unions, that's what we'd have them today, unions, there would be the metal workers' union, there'd be the uh, 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 make the clothes union, there'd be all the different things, different unions, and you had to be part of those guilds, in other words, to have jobs. Now the, the big god that was worshipped in Thyatira was Apollo, the sun god. But each one of these little workers' guilds had their own deity that they had made up, and they would offer sacrifices, saying, Lord, or their God, bless our, bill, our, our, our business as we sell our goods. And they would offer sacrifices and then eat the, the meat that was offered up on the sacrifices. And so this is what Christians were having to face. If they wanted a job and be part of the union, they had to worship these little deities. They had to worship uh, and eat the sacrifices. And this is what Jezebel was doing. She, she was leading the bondservants. We, as believers, are bondservants to Christ, are we not? We serve Christ. It says she is leading them astray. To commit acts of immorality. Folks, I want to tell you something. When something is so nasty, so rude and ugly that Jesus has to use the word immorality instead of saying what it is, that's pretty bad. Whatever the mind can imagine, I want to tell you that's what was happening. And what she was teaching is what's called dualism, which says, listen... You're a body and spirit. All God cares about is what you do in the spirit. What you do in the body is no concern of God. You can go eat, drink, and be merry in the body. That's all right. As long as you do what you want to do, what is right in the spirit. And so what she was teaching Christians and were misleading some, was that they could go into the world, enjoy the things of the world, but as long as they came back and prayed, or read their Bible, or did whatever else, that they were okay spiritually, because that's all God was concerned about. Folks, I want you to understand this. Jesus is saying, listen, your body and your spirit, the two are together. What you do in one, you do in the other. You can't separate them. And so she was teaching, 
and saying, listen, go out there. It's all right. Enjoy. Enjoy the pleasures of the world. It's all right. Go to work. Pray to those gods. Offer sacrifices to those gods. Eat that, but then you can come back on the Lord's day and worship. And the church was tolerating this. Turning a blind eye to it. Well, folks, I want to say that the church in America, for the most part, is a tolerant church. We're more concerned about being politically correct instead of God correct. Most mainline churches are having no problem with ordaining women, ordaining homosexuals, ordaining lesbians, putting them in powerful positions. And what are they saying? It's all right to go into the pleasures of the world, go into immorality, and it's okay. And I just wonder if Jesus was, with his piercing eyes, was looking at us this morning, would he have to say, some of us are being misled into thinking that it's all right once we go out these doors to enter into sin and then just come back and, and everything will be all right. He says, I gave her time to repent. And she does not want to repent of her immorality. Now remember in Pergamos, he said, Repent! Jesus was still giving opportunity for there to be a turnaround. And Jesus has given this Jezebel, this woman, opportunity to turn around, but she has refused. Can I just remind you, there won't ever be a lost person who stands before God who can say, God, you didn't give me opportunity. You didn't give me a chance. John tells us that the Spirit is in the world today convicting men of sin, convicting them of righteousness, and convicting them of a judgment to come. So I gave her time to repent. I wanted her to repent. Because I love her and I died for her. But she doesn't want to repent. Folks, I want to tell you something. The biggest, one of the biggest things that keeps people from coming to Jesus is having to repent. Jesus said in Luke 13, verse 3, and then also in verse 5, I tell you, nay, except you repent, except you turn away, you shall all likewise perish. There is no eternal life without repentance. You have to want to repent. You can't be forced to repent. You have to willingly yield in repentance. Turning away. She loved her immorality. She loved her pleasure of the world so much that she was not willing to turn to the Lord Jesus. Because behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. And the idea of the bed of sickness is the bed of death, the bed of hell and death. He says, I am going to punish her. 
Folks, I want to remind you, all those who reject Christ, all those who are not willing to repent, all those who want to stay in the world, he is saying, listen, ultimately judgment is going to come. But not only to her, it says, and those who commit adultery with her in great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. Now her followers, he says, you still have opportunity to repent. So here's the problem with false teachers. It's not only the false teachers, it's those who are misled that are going to suffer the consequences. And he says, listen, they're all going to suffer the consequences of their unrepentance, unwillingness to turn to me, and lest they repent of those evil deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence. I will kill her followers with pestilence. He's going to bring judgment on them. And all the churches will know that I am He who searches the minds and hearts. Isn't it been amazing how many false teachers, some of these false teachers who were preaching on TV, get caught in scandals, often sexual misconduct scandals, often stealing money scandals. God says, listen, I'm going to show it so that the church will know that I am in control. That my piercing eyes are the ones that search the minds and hearts. And I think today, He is piercing our hearts. Searching us. Reminding us. Right and wrong. And I give to each one of you according to your deeds. He's fair. He's fair. Tell you what, I don't want Him to pay me for my deeds. I don't want Him to judge me for my deeds. I'm so thankful that He has forgiven me of my misdeeds. But He's reminding the lost person. He will reward them for, his, for their deeds. I just want to remind you, the Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one. That your righteousness before Him is nothing but filthy rags. It says, but I say to you, the rest of you who are in fire tyra, who do not hold to this teaching, you have not known the deep things of Satan. See, folks, when you go off into the world, you might be a believer, and you go off into the world and do the things of the world, you're dabbling in the deep things of Satan. Satan is sucking you in, trapping you, Be careful. So Jesus says, listen, those of you who have not yielded to this teaching, who are not deviling into the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. He says, you just keep on loving. You just keep on serving. You just keep on working and, and being faithful and believing and continue to persevere and continue to do and expand all that in your life. He says, I don't place any other burden on you. Tell you what, if we'll get busy loving, if we'll get busy trusting Him and faith, if we'll just get busy because of that, we'll, we'll be serving and persevering, keep on, keep on, keep on, and then expand that with opportunities 
of our faith. God doesn't want to place any other burden on you. I think it'll take care. Everything will be taken care of. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. Keep on doing what you're doing. He who overcomes. Let me just remind you what that is. <laughs> when we get through these seven, seven ones, you'll know what an overcomer is, won't you? You need to memorize these, these two verses from 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. If you've been born of God, you are an overcomer. And this is the victory that we have that has overcome the world, our faith. The way we become overcomers is having faith in Jesus Christ. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is what? The Son of God. You're an overcomer. If you're born of God and believe that he is the Son of God. By faith, you come to Him. He that overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, and I'm so thankful that we have His words, we know that we what we do, we have the Holy Spirit that empowers us. He says, listen, to Him, and He, he gives a quote from Psalms, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, all put together. And I think it's very interesting that Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. Let me just remind you. There are 66 books in our Bible, not just 27. It's not just the New Testament. It's also the Old Testament. If it's good enough for Jesus to quote, it's probably okay for us. He says, To Him I will give authority over the nations. As overcomers, we are going to be with Him, reign with Him, and He is going to give us authority to rule over the nations. We are going to be in His organization ruling the world when He comes back. He says, and He shall rule, referring to Jesus, rule them with a rod of iron. And we're going to see that as we go through Revelation. And He comes and sets up His millennial kingdom. And as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, He is going to come with force. And nobody will be able to resist it. And then He says, as I also have received authority from my Father. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus has all the authority. And he is going to share his authority with us for us to rule with him. I'm so glad I'm part of that organization. I'm so glad that I'm part of that army. Some of y'all aren't smiling about that. Ooh. And I will give him the morning star. Now we haven't seen this in the Revelation yet. But if we'll go over to chapter 22, the last chapter, we'll get a clue of what the morning star is says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to give myself to you. You have me. Overcomers have Jesus, the bright morning star. 
one who directs us, the one who has all the power. And he concludes by saying, he who has an ear. That means not only the one that has physical ears, but has the capacity to hear, but not only the capacity to hear, but to understand what is heard, and not only to understand what is heard, but then for it to transform our behavior. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Lord Jesus is asking today, are you hearing? Are you listening? Is there a need for repentance? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word and the power of your word. Thank you for your spirit and his presence here. May he continue to do his convicting work. Father, I pray for believers that you've spoken to. I pray that they will deal with whatever you are bringing to their attention. Some may need to come and and bow before you right here on this altar. Maybe some want to come and pray for others. Then, Father, I believe there might be one here today that the Holy Spirit's been convicting them, saying, listen, you need to come. You need to repent. You need to come to me. You need to turn to me. And Father, I pray that they would have the, the willingness to turn loose and turn to you, calling upon you to save them because you died for them, because you loved them. You paid for their sin. Father, they might have that moment of faith and have eternal life. Father, I pray they would come and let us help them know how to make that decision, Father. So, Father, you do what you, you please in this place, and we praise you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. With every head bowed, every eye closed, these moments of invitation to the altar is open. You come as you need to come right now.